So slide over to Proverbs chapter 2. We looked last time with the getters, we're walking through Proverbs. What the book of Proverbs said to us as parents, said two things, right? That as a parent, I'm to spend my life walking and facing Jesus. And that as I walk and face Jesus, I won't do that perfectly. Solomon's mother is the greatest moral failure in David's life. <clears throat> so I won't do it perfectly. I'm going to keep facing on Jesus. As I rear my children, I bring discipline into their lives <clears throat> so that they know the edges of the road that we're walking on as we face Jesus. Talked about the fact that uh, discipline should be an event. So uh, one of the mothers texted me after the sermon the next day, and she said, I want you to know my son's prayer last night <clears throat> when he went to bed. Said his prayers, and the last thing he said in the prayer was, and God, please, don't let my parents have heard anything Brother Chris said this morning. <laughs> so, we have one kid that did listen <clears throat> and created terror in his heart. We're going to look today at what Proverbs says to the husband. Then next Sunday morning, we're going to look at the Proverbs says to the woman. And then, thank God, I'm leaving town right after that and will not be here for seven or eight days. I'm going to... Uh, trained pastors in Uganda uh, for a few days uh, this spring. I've got to teach seminary, and then I'm going to Uganda. As a matter of fact, I went down. <clears throat> you have to get all these shots, right? So I got down to Houston yesterday and get this yellow fever shot. After which she says, oh, and by the way, the firm that makes the yellow fever vaccine is out of business. We got this from France, and it's not FDA approved. I said, well, praise God, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so, <clears throat> but there's your government at work. Now, Proverbs chapter 2. Now, ladies, gentlemen, we're going to walk through some difficult things. And ladies, you're not going to like part of this today because you're just not going to buy into this. But I want you to trust me because it's correct. Listen, Proverbs 2, 16. He's going to say two things to the men in Proverbs, which are simple inside of marriage. Here they are. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So the first thing he says to men, if you're a husband, first thing he says, then you need to make sure that you are not enticed by, he says, a forbidden woman. What that means is any woman other than your wife. You now are a one-eye man. You are only looking at your wife. You've enacted a covenant. And you are caught up in that covenant and so you don't allow anything to entice you. Now, we're not going to read all the other passages. Some of them are even difficult. We couldn't read in here because of the graphic aspect of his language. But I want you to understand that what the Bible is clearly categorically stating, gentlemen, is that when we get into a marriage, the first role of the enemy is to entice us away from our wife. And he's going to do that in one of two ways going to do that physically he's going to do that emotionally 
It's going to have some lady that you look at and you think, man, she is way better looking than my wife. He's going to entice you physically. He will entice you emotionally. You go home. Wife tells you you didn't take the trash out. You didn't pay this bill. You didn't do this. You go to work. Lady at work tells you how great you are because why? She doesn't live with you. (laughs) And pretty soon... Your emotions begin to shift because you get this here and you get this here. And the enemy, gentlemen, is going to do that. That's why we have the same divorce rate as people that don't know Jesus. The divorce rate in the church is identical because we're facing the same temptations they are. So, gentlemen, there's the first thing you have to understand. Now, he tells you what you do. Look in chapter 5, verse 18. Actually, let's look at, uh, yeah, verse 18, we're going to start there. Listen to what he says. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Now, ladies, I know that doesn't do it for you, okay? But it did it for them in this day. It's a great comparison in that day. Uh, We'll just move on. Hey, I don't explain everything in the Bible, okay? <laughs> all right. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So gentlemen, he tells us two things. It's interesting how the Bible works. Remember, he says face Jesus doesn't tell us how. He says discipline your children doesn't tell us how because everybody's different. All relationships are different. So he says, you make sure you're not enticed away from this lady. And the way you do it is you are intoxicated by her love. Her love intoxicates you. It is in control of your emotions. If you're intoxicated, the liquor is in control of you. And so her love should intoxicate you where her love for you prevents you from stepping out on the marriage. Now, there's the difficulty, though. The essence of a marriage is connection. That you have two people coming together, and they're going to connect. That's what you're going to do. From the day you step out of the reception till the day you die, you're, you're processing connection. And that is difficult because, now ladies, bear with me all the way through here. It is difficult because what, I'm trying to find the right words here, what enriches a woman's connection to her husband is an irritant to the husband. That's what you find in the New Testament. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Hang over to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Now, Listen to this. Likewise, husbands, 
You live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that statement obviously imply? It's immediately implying that there is a difference between how a woman lives with a man and how a man lives with a woman. Now, look at what he says. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are, and here's a key point that will come at the end of the message. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now here's what he says to us. I've got to live with my wife. I've got to connect with her in a way that is enriching to her but is irritating to me. I've got to connect with her. Understanding the distinction. And it never says this to the wife, gentlemen, but it says it to us. That if I don't do that, my relationship with my Lord is damaged because my prayers are hindered. He never says that to the woman of any responsibility she has. But he says it to us because we're the head of the home. So he says, there's a distinction. I've got to live with it and deal with it. Now, look in Colossians chapter 3. Hang a left. Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Simple little verse, verse 19, that basically states the same thing. 3.19, listen. He says, husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. What is it that makes a husband harsh with his wife? That this connecting point that enriches her is difficult for me. It creates in men a harshness and a non-understanding method of living with their wife. Now, go to 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 26. Now, this is a difficult passage. David had in his life, King David, one friend. Saul's son, Jonathan, one friend. That's all he had in his entire life. Everybody else was, uh, was uh, basically an employee, a worker with him, but he had one friend. Jonathan's friendship was so deep, Jonathan gave up the crown to David before he ever died with his dad on Mount Gilboa. Now, Listen, to, in beginning in verse 25, 2 Samuel 1. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. It's not homosexual. The reason we know that is because the Bible always shows the difficulties, and that never appears in David's life, his failure with Bathsheba does. But never that. So it's not a homosexual statement, but it is a simple statement reflecting Colossians and 1 Peter. And the simplicity of the statement is that it is easier for men to get along with men than to get along with a wife. Now, ladies, I know you don't want to hear that, but that is absolutely the case. The difficulty is that what enriches you is difficult for us. Um, and I need to say one thing here. 
For those of you that are dating, you're not buying any of this sermon because you don't know. Right now, you're putting your best foot forward. I love you, baby. I love you, too. Hold that, okay? For those of you that are living together, this has no bearing on you either. Because the reason you're living together is your assumption is if this gets bad, I can leave. So it really isn't a big deal. But if you've come together in a ceremony and you exchanged rings as a symbol of a spiritual covenant, I don't care what the city says. If you live inside a spiritual covenant with Jesus Christ and you step out and the rings are a symbol, not of what you sign at City Hall, but of what your heart is before Jesus Christ, as you're both walking the same road and you're facing him, then you're caught with each other until you die. When that's the case, and you can't get out, and you're having to address this connection issue that is difficult, you have to address it. You're living together, you can quit. You're dating, you haven't found it. But if you're married, you will address it. So, and here's the difficulty. Even if you're both walking toward Jesus, faces toward Jesus, you're walking the same road, bringing discipline to your children, doing it right. There's still things that will impact you. Many women are different. Uh, they've actually done studies to show that. Yeah. Your tax money paid for studies to prove that men and women are different. I just love our government. So, you have different personalities. Okay? And generally, you marry the opposite of your personality. You generally fall in love with what you don't have. So you've got different personalities. You've got men and women. Men want respect. Women want love. You've got that distinction in Ephesians 5. And all of us feel love differently. Some people are loved by affirmation. Some by being served. Some by gifts. Some by quality time. We have all sorts of different ways we feel loved. That guy that wrote that book left out one language. And one love language he left out, and that is harassment. Now, you have that language if you enjoy being harassed as much as you harass. But when you have that love language and you're married to a woman with words of affirmation like, I am. It's not good. So you're on this road. You're both walking toward Jesus, which means you're stuck with each other. Can't veer off the road far because it's pretty narrow. And then you try to connect. And then you discover the difficulty. Gentlemen, you're in your truck. Because a real Texas man has a truck. You're in your truck. You got your radio on. Your woman. You're driving down the road. What's the question you fear the most coming? What is it? 
what are you thinking? Because you know, when you hear that question, this is not going to end well. First time I heard that, I answered honestly as a man, right? What's my answer, gentlemen? Nothing. I'm not thinking anything, baby. Does she believe you, gentlemen? No. Because there is not a moment in the day when she is not thinking about something. I would be dead at the end of a day. Would be exhausted. My daughter came up to me one time after a sermon when I talked about this. And she said, you're not really serious. You really have points in the day where your, your box is empty because men are like boxes, women are like spaghetti. I said, honey, most of my boxes are empty. <laughs> and the worst thing that happens is when I'm in this empty box and my wife climbs in. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Women are like spaghetti. You're connected to everything. We're connected to nothing. We have one thing in each box. And we do have empty boxes. And I'm telling you, this is absolutely true. The guy that had the most stress as U.S. president was Abraham Lincoln. Civil War, it was awful. And so he would get into... Because of the stress, and this is how men relieve stress, they get an empty box. So women relieve stress by talking and chasing the man into the boxes. So he's in his box. Lincoln would get into these really deep boxes. He'd even get into sort of catatonic stairs, and he'd just hunker down. And Mary Todd, who was nuts, by the way, Mary Todd had had it one day. She grabbed a log out of the fire and whacked him upside the head. Knock, I mean, cut him. So, it's not good, ladies. We'll look at you next week, okay? Don't do that. I know you want to and probably justified, but don't do that. We aren't the same that way. We are distinct in almost every area. We don't like, first, one of the first things you learn after you've been married, you don't like the same movies. Right? My wife made me the other night for the 7,000th time watch the end. I only watched the end of Sleepless in Seattle. That's the dumbest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. You got a little kid talking to a woman for her dad and nobody knows it. At the end of the movie, he is in New York by himself on the top of Empire State Building. Thank you. All the ladies going, Empire State Building. Wherever he is, he's in New York on top of that with a backpack. His dad comes in. The end of the movie. This is the end of the movie. Like, this is conclusive. They walk off together into the, the elevator. Look, for all you know, Hanks is a serial killer. <laughs> this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. But my wife likes that movie. And, and she doesn't like a lot of my movies. As a matter of fact, one of the last times we went with some couples... Is absolutely correct. She looked at me and she said, okay, we're going with other people tonight. Here are the rules. You may not sigh out loud. You may not make comments out loud. You may not roll your eyes and you may not look at your watch. 
I said, well, there's no point in me going, is there? <laughs> I don't like chick flicks unless they're funny. If they're funny, I can endure it. But if they're not funny, steel magnolias? I can go sit in a woman's beauty salon for four hours and have the same experience. <laughs> but women connect with those movies because they're connecting movies. Tom and Megan are going to connect. So we have differences. We don't do details. Okay? See? We don't do details. Women do details. I decided one time I'd had enough. And that I would teach my wife and daughter a lesson. My son was dating the woman he was going to marry. So my wife and daughter, of course, you know what that is. They're into that. Poor guy comes in the house. What'd y'all do tonight? Where'd you go? All the questions. So I decided I'd teach him a lesson about details in a story that they're worthless. Just get to the point. Because that's what a man needs. So I said, I, I primed the pump. I said, I had talked to Stephen the other day about Courtney. <laughs> there, there, man. So I primed the pump. So I, I started, this is exactly what I did. See, you know, Stephen and I were on the 15th hole. We were teaming up. You know, it's a par five. It's out of bounds on the left, water on the right, two ponds. And, and you really have to place your drive. You know, you want to be careful. You've got to place your drive right here because you've got to go back caddy corner. Remember, you've got those two big trees, and you've got to get past those trees far enough that you have a wedge into the green because you've got that trap right in front of it, and it slopes up just barely, and you've got to take it in high and drop it in. You can't really do that with five iron. So you really, and I am going, at this point, I am bored. And so I can't take myself anymore. And so I look up, and I promise you, they're like this. <laughs> and I just went back to my bedroom and wept. <laughs> because I realized they like, I'm telling the story, and I am bored. So here's the problem. We don't connect like that. We don't look at you eye to eye. Women want eye to eye. Men don't do eye to eye. We don't. I can tell you when men will talk. You take them to a deer lease. You go out in the hunt. You come back in. You start talking about what you saw. Build a campfire. Cook some supper. At some point, we all get around the campfire. And what do men do in a campfire? They poke it. No reason for that, but we poke it. <laughs> Sooner or later, some guy will say something that actually has some value. And we'll start discussing, but at no point do we do this. You know, Rickley, I really, I really feel what you were saying there. We don't do that. We don't have feelings, okay? So, we don't gaze into each other's eyes, but women want the gaze. So here's the problem. That if you're living together, it's no big deal, because at some point when it gets hard enough, you're going to just pack out. You have the right. You're not married. You didn't enact a covenant. When you're dating, you're putting your best foot forward, so you're ignoring a lot of what down the road will become difficult. And so all of the methods that a woman uses to connect become irritating to me, and thus my reaction becomes harsh and unkind and unloving. Proverbs says, 
I can't look at another woman. I have to be intoxicated by love that irritates me. So how do I do that? That's the problem. Two Greek words in the Bible for love, right? Philia, a love that means I feel something. We would use the phrase, I'm in love. Agape is a word that has nothing to do with feeling. It is the word that says, I choose to love you because of the value that is in you. Agape is always the word used. Ephesians 5, husbands, agape your wives. Now, how do I choose to love her in a way that I am intoxicated by that love so there is no other woman that can turn my head or turn my heart? How do I do that? Gentlemen, I want you to listen to me carefully here, okay, because it's the only solution. Remember what he said, 1 Peter? Remembering your wife is an heir, a fellow heir of the grace of life. We're both walking toward him. We start out here. But over time, in a committed marriage, we struggle. And pretty soon I'm on this side of the road, she's on this side of the road. What do we do? I have to love her in a way that I'm intoxicated by that. Where no other woman could possibly turn my eye or my heart. Here's how I do it. I look at Jesus that I'm walking towards. Now, gentlemen, it's the only solution. I look at her like he looks at her. She is the apple of his eye. Psalm 39 says he thinks about her all day long more than the grains of sand on the beaches in the world. Hairs of her head are numbered. He sees a sparrow fall. He sees everything that happens to her. His blood redeemed her. He put his Holy Spirit in her. <clears throat> he adores her. If I'm going to walk toward Jesus, and I'm going to adopt his heart from my wife, if I do that, that love will intoxicate me. And ladies, we'll look at you next Sunday, but when both these things work correctly, we'll come back together and we will work through all the issues because it's different for every couple. That's why the Bible doesn't give you all these little neat seven details that you do. It's different for every couple. So we will come back together. I will look at her and say, If she were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for her. So I'm going to look at the value she is in Christ. 
and because I love him and I walk toward him, I'm going to grab her hand out of that value. I'm going to pull her to me, and we're going to figure out a way to work through and compromise all this stuff. And we're going to deal with it till we die. But the goal isn't, the goal is not that we stay together. The goal is that we walk together toward him. So gentlemen, I would go home and write down in my life, in my heart, what the Bible says God's view of your wife is so that it doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what he feels toward her. And then if you add what she is to you to that, you can make the shift because if I value her well enough, my feelings for her that you may have lost at this point will return if I look at her as God sees her. <clears throat> so this week, um, I shared Wednesday night this week, I'm reading one morning this article on Jim Baker, who used to be this fraudulent preacher who milked Christians out of millions of dollars. As a matter of fact, he got put in jail for five years, had an affair with the secretary, sorted. He's back on TV. And now he's hawking... Uh, apocalypse food and generators he can't ask you for money because he's pastoring this church so what he does is for a $4,100 donation he'll send you a fuelless generator so you can be ready when the antichrist comes and, and, and you can handle it if I'm right in the scripture we're not here when the antichrist comes matter of fact I'm leaving him my credit card About the time I finish this long article on this guy, my phone starts blowing up about Billy Graham having died, who led me to Christ, and how classy he is. There are only two, of all the articles I've read in the last few days, there are only two people that attacked him. One was some girl that writes for Teen Vogue who was vile in her attacking him. She didn't even know who he is. And then George Will who generally is a conservative columnist for Washington Post, he slammed Billy Graham. Those are the only two. Lying in state in the rotunda, the Capitol. Because he impacted millions. When he went to heaven, I wonder how many people, right, met him that his preaching brought to Christ. Valuable, important. But if the Bible's true, he has no ounce of value to the heart of God more than your wife does. So gentlemen, I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how difficult it is to connect. What is an irritant to you is enriching to her you grab her hand, you value her in Jesus Christ, and you walk toward him until the day he takes one or both of you home. Let's pray.
Father, your word has uh, amazing, credible, workable insight. So, Father, I ask you today, for those here that do not know you, today would be a day they find you and put their faith in the blood of your Son so they can live in the value you have for them. Father, for those marriages here where the husbands have not valued their wives well, let them fix that this week. Matter of fact, let them fix that on the way home. Thank you for an institution that even in the difficulty is the neatest, safest place to live. When I go home, I know what I have there. So Father, thank you for what you've given us in marriage and in home. And let us do it your way. In Jesus' name, I ask that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Never met Christ? We're here at the front to show you how to do that. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship as he speaks to your heart this morning. I want you to come, and if you need to come down here and talk with one of the staff members, you need to come down here and pray, maybe as a husband. You need to grab your wife and come down and say, I haven't done it right, let's do it right from here as the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you come.